Hello, film nerds. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Austin Burchard is back on the pod with his LA Sessions pick of Nick Cage scrambling to steal 50 cars in one night. That's right, we're talking about the action driving thrill ride that is gone in 60 seconds. Right, Austin, you are making your long-awaited return to the film podcast with probably the most ridiculous movie that we've ever done <laughs> on the show, and we've talked about The Happening and Cat in the Hat. Yeah. I, I want to know why you picked this, because I sent you a lot of options for movies to do for the LA sessions, and this is the one that we, we both agreed on it, uh, <laughs> and I want to know why I want to know why you chose this. What does this movie mean to you? So for me, I grew up on this movie. I remember watching this way younger than I should have. <laughs> I was probably like 10 or 11 when I saw this movie. And if you watch the movie, that's that's probably too young. <laughs> I can see it being enjoyable when you're 11 or 12. Yeah. Like I, I, I definitely understand the appeal. Cars, action. Like that's uh-huh. any like boy at a young age, like dream. I definitely had like a movie like that. I saw Face Off when I was around the same age, mm-hmm. I think. And I was like, I was so into it. And it's like so much fun. And that movie still is like a ton of fun. Don't get me wrong. But like you watch it too young and you're just kind of focusing on the action. You don't really get a sense of the ridiculous or like just the over the top nature of it surrounding it. But you're so focused on like because there's a lot of action set pieces. This one's a little different because I honestly like as I was watching it, I, w- I struggled to call it an action movie necessarily. I got more of a heist movie vibe from Gone in 60 Seconds. I mean, this yeah. is my first time watching it last night, and I don't want to be too negative right off the bat. I will say I did have a good time watching it. <laughs> it was definitely the Nicolas Cage entertainment that I would like to subscribe to. But it like it's weird because there's only like two action scenes in it, and even then they just feel like they're, they're chases, and they yeah. feel like part of the, the heist. I, yeah, most of the action happens in, like, the third act, mostly. Mm-hmm. Let's do some just some quick overviews of this. We're talking about Gone in 60 Seconds, Nicolas Cage action driving movie that came out in uh, in the year 2000. Quite an era for Nicolas Cage. I mean, kind of in a limbo state because he was one of, like, the standouts of the 90s and had um, won an Oscar in 93, I think, for leaving Las Vegas. And then immediately after that does Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. Just like three back-to-back, like crazy, like Nicolas Cage all-time performances. And just and after that basically becomes, you know, the icon that we know him as today, just being completely nuts, but so completely, I don't want to say captivating, but you're at least like, you can't stop watching him. What is your relationship to Nicolas Cage? Like, what do you like? What is it about him that is so attractive? Nicolas Cage is such a versatile actor. Like, he can be <laughs> in crazy movies like Con Air, Face Off, Gone in 60 Seconds. My personal trifecta of movies for him. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've watched all three of those movies, but he's in so many different movies that you see him in that. And you think, oh, he's just that crazy guy that says, not the bees. Yeah. But no, (laughs) he actually can act. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because he, you know, he was seen as a very serious actor. He was doing like, you know, he had the big hit in like Moonstruck with Cher and then does Wild at Heart with David Lynch and was like trying to be serious as a very, yeah, like a dramatic actor. And he has those chops. He has showcased the fact that he wins an Oscar for this movie, Leaving Las Vegas, which is all about alcoholism and this relationship, which is just clearly a very personal drama. And then immediately after that, just switches it to going to do the crazy Nicolas Cage stuff that we know and love. What do you think like now the perception the, and the perception of Nicolas Cage now has changed so much mm-hmm. since since then. So like, you know, now we have the years of we have gone in 60 seconds, so early in 2000s. We have Snake Eyes a little before that. We have National Treasure. Classics. Yeah, classics. There's, It's so, like, the Nicolas Cage filmography is just all over the place. How has the perception of him 
changed? What is it now, do you think, compared to what it initially was? How has it changed and what do we come to expect from a Nicolas Cage movie, do you think? I feel like most people nowadays, if they see like Nicolas Cage on like as one of the names on a poster, they're like, oh, this movie's going to be interesting. Yeah. Like, I think that's mostly what sold like Mother. Because I don't think mm-hmm. anyone really knew anything about that movie. And I personally haven't seen it. Oh, Mandy. Mandy, sorry. Yeah, not Mandy. Yeah, Mandy, not Mother. <laughs> Mother's a great movie. <laughs> I also haven't seen that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. No, Mandy was the movie I was just thinking of. And that movie pretty much, I think, was sold based off of the fact that Nicolas Cage was in the movie. Mm-hmm. And based off that, he still hasn't gotten any less crazy. Because <laughs> yeah. if I remember correctly, he's supposed to be in a movie now where he's playing Nicolas Cage yeah in in a movie and it's like okay this is he's gone full nicholas cage yeah and uh, he is kind of one of the more self-aware actors that we've had in recent time and he had even like towards the middle of like the early aughts around the national treasure era you can tell he was still trying to keep the name or the reputation that he had and you know garner a lot of audience reaction because he was in it you're like oh nicholas cage you know he's a he's a good actor absolutely let's go see it and yeah around that same time like especially like national treasure 2 right around that's a uh, like 2006 or something like that. That was before he had fully switched over and he had movies like Knowing or, you know, something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, and he's, which, uh, which I think that movie's terrible, but that's just me. <laughs> but after, uh, shortly after that, he does that movie Stolen and Next and Bangkok Dangerous. That's like when he really switches over to the crazy Nicolas Cage. And at that point, he was just like, it's known of how like crazy his his financial troubles have been. So he just does, you know, whatever movie that, you know, kind of comes his way. And now he has garnered such a cult following of people who just love the crazy like he's almost like i don't i don't even know like just such an icon of that i went to go see mandy in theaters when it came to ithaca my first semester at ithaca and the theater was packed and just filled with nicholas cage fanatics and it was one of the craziest movie theater experiences i have ever seen and it's all because of him yeah like it's 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 crazy I don't know. There's no. There's not a whole lot of other actors out there. Do you think? Like, I don't know who to compare him to. Jim Carrey, maybe, because he's also self kind of wearing kind of crazy, but like, not nah, the level of Nicolas Cage. No, Nick, it's very different. Like, Carrey is like comedically very self aware and like you know takes himself like he he definitely goes over the top. But Cage is just on a whole other like he's it's actual insanity almost but like then you see him in interviews and he's just like yeah i i i told this movie because the the acting is like it's like what are you talking about man (laughs) um but because of that and his reputation and just who he is as a celebrity he just like brings people in and i can see why this is a good like textbook example gone in 60 seconds of one of his films because a lot of his movies especially around this time this movie is absurd it's crazy but it's also really fun like it has like a lot of really fun elements and you know we're gonna we'll talk about them mm-hmm. in a minute but let's talk about because this is the la sessions let's talk about how la is portrayed in this movie really quick because it's filmed in california around los angeles a lot of it mm-hmm. is around long beach um, and you spent a month in Los Angeles a few summers back. What do you think? That, how is LA portrayed in this movie? Like, what stands out, and what do you think? That, how does? The, what do you think the setting is for this movie? Unlike some movies, this movie definitely doesn't like call like call out that we're in LA. Fast and the Furious probably like set like practically it's like we're in LA, we're in Miami now, like whatever setting they're in. So this movie is probably like more low key in the in its setting about in LA. Just the set pieces they decide to use LA in, I feel like really showcase the city in the third act. If you know, like the whole driving scene, like you know, everybody knows where that is because it's just so iconic to LA. I I thought it was interesting because most of the movie is like, if you're, if you're just like watching this movie and be, and like 
basing what you think LA is off of this movie, you'd think LA just entirely is just like a shipyard. Right. Like most of this movie is filmed around shipping containers and a random auto shop that's in the middle of the desert. But you are right that it's not overt. Like it's not calling to LA like here's a monument or here's, uh, you know, here's Griffith Observatory or something like that. Mm-hmm. What I think it does do is it captures the layout of LA fairly interestingly. Cause like you see like the, the one bridge that he's on when he does the big jump at the end, you're like, okay, I've seen, I know that bridge. And then it goes into downtown. He's just off of Hollywood Boulevard. Then he makes it back to the yard. But like, cause LA is just a very spread out area mm. because there's so many different like factions of the city that are almost conflicting with one another. There's like the city, there's the suburbs. There's just like this kind of village town aspect of it. Then you're on the beach and it's so spread out and so versatile. And I think it, it kind of lends itself to a movie like this for where driving is just a huge part of it. Do you agree? Yeah. Like imagine LA is the racetrack and they're just driving it. It's like the perfect place because they can just go anywhere really because LA is just so versatile in what it can be. It's like a, a level in like cruising USA or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. This movie definitely wouldn't work today though, just because like of all the traffic. I, was that, about to, I wanted to yeah. ask you if the traffic is just like LA since you've been there. <laughs> I think that... I think this movie kind of gets away with it because most of the big driving happens at night or very early in the morning. So mm-hmm. not hitting the rush hour period. Cause like really realistically the, you know, the traffic times for LA are like in the morning from like seven to nine and then at night from like five to seven thirty or something like that. Um, the rest of the time it's fair. It's pretty all right. But like nowadays. Yeah. So like, like I said, they get away with a lot of it because like it's at night and, and that, that big race thing happens early, like 8 AM. But you think there'd be more cars there at least, you know, like he should be jumping like the entire four or five freeway to make it feel like, okay, <laughs> to make it not, feel realistic. We're not getting that campy. <laughs> <laughs> the way that the cinematography is, they make it super orange so it's like okay the sun is always just like right there and it's always very bright but like rusty but most of it is spent in the shipyard you think it's like gloucester massachusetts or something and like it's (laughs) it makes me think of like okay i actually know what the setting is of la and we've talked about this in other movies for the series do you think this movie is dependent on being set in la i don't think so it could probably be set in really any like popular like place. So like probably like Miami or something like that. It wouldn't work in New York City. No, I could definitely see Miami. Maybe Atlanta. Maybe, maybe Atlanta. But like it definitely, it could be like, it has to be like a major city yeah. with clear access to the outskirts of the city. Easy access. Because like LA, it's like because of how just the, the highway system is, is set up, it's pretty easy just take one exit and then you're in the area that you kind of want to be so it could be in miami but like i that's kind of interesting that like you know this is kind of the first movie of the series where la isn't really like a character very prominent it's it's more of like a setting than anything else Mm -hmm. but i mean it's still it still works and it's not it's not a demerit necessarily yeah before we get into critical breakdown let's talk about action movies how big of an action movie fan are you like what what was your relationship with the genre I think action movies are like just a fun popcorn movie that you can sit down and watch and everybody needs those. Like even if you're a big horror fan or if you're like a drama fan, which I'm a huge drama fan, but like every single person I feel like eventually comes back to action movies Uh because like when it comes down to it, everybody wants just a sit down movie. They don't have, they can just turn their brain off. And this is one of those movies where you can just turn your brain off and just have a blast. Absolutely. And I, I love action movies. When I saw Die Hard for the first time at eight years old, I knew that I was like, I love action movies and I still do. Um, my, but my thing is, is like recently in the past like five or six years or so past decade, the 2010s were really bad for action movies. I feel like there weren't a whole lot of like big standouts other than like, obviously there's the Marvel movies, but like Mad Max Fury road or like Skyfall. But other than that, like there have, there've been a lot more misses than there had. There's a lot of reliance on quick cutting. There's, you know, like just like get the action set piece out of the way and that's it. Like that's, that's the main goal or like the expendables or something like that. But I mean, if you go into it and expect to, try and have fun 
then you're probably at least going to get something out of it. And I think that this is one of those, yeah, one of the perfect movies where you say you just go in and have, like, just be like, I want to enjoy myself. And you definitely will. And plus they throw Nick Cage in there. So, like, how could you not, right? Absolutely. Like, sometimes you just want to see an explosion and somebody walk away from it, (laughs) which happens in this movie. (laughs) It does. Absolutely, it does. So let's let's get into Critical Breakdown. As I said before, this movie's ridiculous. Um, I had no idea what I, I had seen. I had seen a couple clips going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, only I had seen some sections of the end heist, like just quick clips, but not how, not the full effect of it. Give a really brief, quick synopsis of what this movie's about. Okay, so the synopsis of this movie is that there's a retired car thief, and he comes back in town to help his brother who's in trouble. Because he also decided to become a car thief. So basically the premise of the entire movie is that he has to steal 50 cars in one night to please this dealer so he doesn't kill his brother. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an easy, quick premise to to kind of get out there. And it's very easy to follow. Like, the, the story is, it's what you've seen in action movies before. Like, we all, we all come to expect certain things. And it, that's one thing that I will say, like, is... I, I don't really know if it's if it's like a critique. It's okay. It is a critique that this movie is very cliche in its in its story. Yes, but <laughs> hang on, Continue. hang on. Continue. Here's the here's what's cliche about it. The fact that okay, so there's the guy who has to come out of retirement, and it's like the biggest job ever, and he has his family on the line, and then like his brother has like you know is kind of a fuck up, but he so he has to save him because he's family, and then like there's the mom character who's only in it for like a quick scene, and the villain is just you know kind of thrown away. He's in one scene at the beginning, and then he's in one scene at the end, and. You know, you you understand that, like, okay, there's not really, no one's going to die in this movie. No, like, no one important, at least. And um, they're probably going to be able to pull it off. Like, the biggest example, as soon as Angelina Jolie showed up on on screen, I was like, they're going to fuck. Like, I just know it. Like, that's where it's going to go. And that's where where it goes. They never fuck on screen. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to get technical with me, we can, like, go... We could go even deeper, but like, I mean, that's kind of, that, that's something we've all come to either expect or just become accustomed to because we've seen that in, you know, X amount of action movies before this and after this. Well, so what were you going to say when I said it was cliche? Um, the one thing I wanted just to, to throw out there is that this movie also was released in 2000. Yes. This was released 20 years ago. Happy 20 year anniversary. Uh, Yes. This might not have been as much of a cliche at that point because we are all so in, like, we're used to at this point. Like, this is a cliche. At that point in movies, I can't remember, like, too many movies going before that. I'm sure there are archetypes like that in other movies before that movie came out, but I don't think it was probably as cliche no that's fair i mean yeah you're 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 probably right that at that point i mean we had definitely seen some of those tropes before but definitely not as much as we have now like action movies took this and ran with it because i mean like i said it's pretty it's a pretty easy story to tell the stakes are raised and there's the call to action, but then there's also the emotional, personal stuff stuff that is behind it, which we'll get into in a second. Where this movie really shines is the job that they have to do. So they have to steal 50 cars in one night. They got to get the crew together. They got to highlight everyone's abilities in the crew. They got to plan the job, and they got to execute the job. And all four of those things, this movie does pretty enter- like pretty well, like in a very entertaining way. Like I loved when they were planning the heist. Like when they're staking out all the cars mm-hmm. and planning where they are location wise and getting ready for all that. Like, that's fun. Like, how could you not be into that, right? In that scene alone, just the co- there's so many comedic beats from the one guy. I'm forgetting his name currently, but he's basically like, that's his unicorn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, his what? It's like, you know, thing you can't get. It's not real. It's like, yeah. Like every single time I watch it, without a doubt, I just laugh at that part. 
there's a lot of un- there's a lot of comedy in this movie that I can't tell if it's intentional or not. But like the fact that this movie is more of a heist movie than it is anything else. I love heist movies. Like heist is like such a great subgenre. We might even do that on the show at some point. But I love the idea of trying to do. It's almost like a spy movie that isn't a spy movie necessarily. There's yeah. elements of spy and espionage in it, but it feels very grounded, I guess, in some way, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they're trying to be as sneaky as possible and work their way around the cops, um, Timothy Oliphant and uh, what's the main cop's name? Roland Cass- Castlebeck. The actor's name is Delroy Lindo. Delroy Lindo, right. Okay, he's great in this movie, by the way. I, I Actually, I liked seeing him. But there's the two sides of the story. So there's the there's the heist itself, and then there's the cops who are following him, and the cops and Cage and them have like a relationship. Nicolas Cage's name in this movie is Memphis, by the way. That's just crazy. Like <laughs> His name's Memphis. Oh, my God. Memphis uh, Reigns. Memphis Reigns. <laughs> which which um, leads to a great line in this movie. <laughs> Oh yeah, the what's the what's when the it, villain say? When it rains, it pours. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, here's the thing with this movie is just in general, there's so many scenarios where it goes from zero to a hundred really, really quickly. Like overall, if you think about it, this is a very subdued Nicolas Cage performance. It's not sure. as over the top as you would think it would be. No, I remember being this way more campier as a kid. Compare it to Face Off. Oh yeah, he, yeah. It's like it's leaps and bounds more held back. But there is that scene when okay, he goes to meet the villain, whatever his name is. Kalitri uh, or something like that. Yeah, Raymond Kalitri. Raymond Kalitri. That's right. Yeah. So he goes to meet him, and he's like, oh, "What's what do you want?" And he's like, "Let me show you something." And he's like a big fan of wood, or something like that. And then he's like, "I got fifty cars to be delivered here in four days for two hundred thousand dollars." And he, and Cage is like, "I'm retired, man. I don't do that anymore." And then he takes him outside, and his brother, played by Giovanni Ribisi, is in a car about to be crushed by. Um, like a bailer and <laughs> immediately he's like, hey, come on, let him out of there. And then it starts to crush him and Cage is like, hey, put it down and like pulls a gun on him and just like, starts yelling at him. And then everyone's got a gun on Cage. And then you're just like, what happened? Like, what's going on? Like, oh my God. It's just, it's crazy. This movie. I mean, I feel like that part was prompted. Like if you saw <laughs> your brother being about to be like crushed, I would probably react that way too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> just the scenario in itself is just absolutely insane. Yeah. And then here's like one of my biggest issues with the story of this movie is the fact that so, okay, so they got to get 50 cars in four days, $200,000. They're going to kill his brother. And then the villains give him back his brother and still expect him to carry out the job. Like, wouldn't you want to keep him around for like ransom purposes? I feel like in the movie, it's very much he's supposed to be threatening enough that it's like, I'll give you your brother back, sure. But like, if you don't do the job right, I will kill you. I will kill your brother. I will kill your mother. Like, it's supposed to be very threatened. Like, show he's like a very evil man. Which, I mean, it doesn't come across that way. But. No. <laughs> it's just that he's just some random, like, this is also another, like, this is definitely a cliche that was prominent in a lot of action movies at the time is like the villain is a smart European guy who's an expert in a random trait or a random trade and doesn't answer questions directly. He always like kind of sneaks around it to talk about himself and then and then he just uses the fact that he is a very suave looking guy with a particular foreign accent and where that's like okay they're threatening like we see that a lot in um in action movies you know and like what's even kind of funny about that is christopher eccleston who plays raymond uh Kalitri, he later on afterwards like yeah i hated my performance in that movie <laughs> really yeah that's he, he, he hated like the fact that any person who before like Doctor Who, which was his next thing after, I think. Oh, that's where I've seen him before. That's right. He's the first Doctor, right? 
well in the new doctor who yeah, yeah. he's like the i've only first. seen one episode so that's how i would like recognize him yeah yeah oh wow yeah i could see how that would be i think it's yeah that'd be really annoying you're like i've done like one of the most successful british television shows in history and all you want to talk about is fucking nicholas cage movie i did 20 years ago that's funny so they get like everyone's coming out of retirement and they get like the whole crew together and Robert Duvall's in this movie, apparently. Like yeah. I was like I was shocked when I saw I, I I didn't know that him and Angelina Jolie were in this movie before watching it. Three like, Oscar no winners. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's insane. That's fucking crazy. But like characters just kind of appear and then disappear kind of at will yeah. in this movie with ridiculousness or with crazy scenarios dipped in between. So there's that scene when he goes to the bar to talk to uh, Angelina Jolie after they meet at the, at the auto shop or whatever. And then she's like, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, okay. And then he leaves. And then uh, the, uh, the, like the four black guys come to meet him. And then Sphinx just blows up their car yeah. and just like, just this fight scene ensues. That fight scene's atrocious, by the way. There's some terrible fight choreography happening in that, especially when Cage gets punched. Like Cage gets punched like in the stomach. Sounds like someone hit like a soda bottle. It's so funny because like okay, they blow up the one car, which is belongs to the guy, and then they beat up, and then Sphinx like you know um, grabs the balls of the one guy and then flips him over, and then they walk away, and then two more cars exploded. It's like, did he do all three of those, or was that like an effect of the one car? Yeah, I feel. I think when I watched it last night, it just kind of didn't notice it because I was like, oh yeah, that car probably set off the next car. And yeah, no, probably. Yeah, realistically, realistically speaking, you throw realism out the window when we're, we're talking, talking about, about this movie. movie. Is so realistic. <laughs> the one thing about this movie that I think is kind of interesting that that they. I don't want to say that they chose to do because it's not like it's a standout thing, but the relationship between Cage and his brother, I will say at least they, they both feel like they are brothers. Yeah, that's my like, favorite part of the movie is their relationship. Even Cage like kind of has like an arc with him because, you know, he's like, I got my own family to think about and my own friends and family other than you, I gotta, I gotta take care of them. And then that's when it, when his friend gets shot later on, Cage lets him go to the hospital um, with his friend because you know that's his family he's got to take care of them like that is like you know that's kind of an interesting theme that they have like kind of sprinkled in there because i mean you got to have the emotional stuff in there but yeah their relationship i would say you could definitely tell that they're brothers yeah there was this one scene i watched last night and when i re <clears throat> when i rewatched this movie i saw it and i'm like that really just like showcases that they're brothers is just he's cooking the younger brother is cooking breakfast for his older brother and he's like awful at it and he starts he starts on fire and he's like ah oh, shit and he's like trying to blow put it out with like a, a towel or something like that and Nicolas Cage without saying anything just comes over the baking soda and, and puts it out and it just seems like a very very brotherly moment because mm -hmm. like of course, the younger brother doesn't know shit, and like the big brother has to like take care of it, which is kind of the whole idea of the movie. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that exact same thing when that happened. It's that's the big, you know, clear visual metaphor of the older brother coming to fix the younger brother's fuck ups, but he's doing it because he you know cares about his brother and is like he's there. That's what he's there for. He's there to help mm -hmm. him. Yeah, I mean that that's just like a good arc that they have. Like I. I do enjoy that and how he helps him out with the heist itself with his with his friends and all of them have their own abilities that they can bring to the table. I mean, that's really what I want to see. Like when I go into a movie like this, I'm like, I want to see like just some people getting together to fuck shit up and they're going to do it and they're going to do it well. And uh, the actual like 40 minute carjacking sequence that happens in the night is pretty great like it's actually like really entertaining just watching them go from scenario to scenario to get mm -hmm. the cars and how each person like has their specific job to do it's 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 great heist it's a great heist moment that whole like sequence in itself there's only like one of them that anytime i see it i'm just like can we get past the scene and it's the sphinx and with the snake yeah the snake i just that scene <laughs> to me every single time it's i'm not afraid of snakes it's just 
really boring mm-hmm. to me. I thought that they were going to get, I thought the stakes were going to be raised and they were going to be caught or the police would be on to them or something. And then they would have to, because I mean, obviously the police found them. They found them in that garage and mm-hmm. then the, they used the Hummer to push it off, um, push the car off, which is crazy, but it's like kind of fun. But then like they still take the Hummer back to the shop and it's like, well, okay, there has to be damage to that car. Like, and you know, the big thing is like, there can't be a scratch on any of the cars. And, uh, there's clear scratches. Like there's clear damage to that car, like for sure. And no, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's whatever. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying I'm pointing it out cause I noticed it. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but I do love the scene. So they have to, so they have to get all these cars up and they start, you know, they start knocking them off like and they get the whole Ferrari warehouse because the guy earlier like that's a great scene when he goes to the Ferrari dealer and he's like, my name's Roger. Can I be of some assistance? Well, that's yeah. funny. My name's Roger. <laughs> Two Rogers don't make a right. <laughs> like His laugh is so loud. Then he goes to the to the warehouse. They get all those Ferraris like that's cool. Like I I like that. And it's it's moving like quickly, but like uh, we got to talk about the 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 low rider scene, which is like a classic, yes. my classic actually, Nick Cage move, moment. Uh, I unironically, because of this movie, we'll just do that sometimes, and like nobody <laughs> realizes what. Okay, it's let's from. go. <laughs> yeah, that's become an iconic Nicolas Cage scene because, like, I mean. What more could you want? They got to get themselves hyped up either way. And, and Nick Cage is just being like so uninteresting in that scene after he puts his leather jacket on. He's like, yeah. I'm and he's a like, Yeah. And he's like, well, thank you guys for coming. Just keep your head up. Just move quickly. It'll be over before you know it. Lowrider, please. And it's like, wow, what a speech you gave. That that's I'm ready. Like, and then he goes, and then he does Lowrider, and you're like, all right, let's go. And you're like, yes, okay, let's do it. Let's now fucking I'm do pumped. it. <laughs> What's great about that scene alone is that you have that that iconic scene alone, and then you just have the camera that just goes to all the new crew who's like have no clue what's going on, and yeah. then all the old crew is like, yeah, they're feeling it. Yeah, they have their eyes closed, <laughs> and they're just like. They're fucking into it. Um, before we actually, before we talk more about the um, the heist itself, let's talk about the lead up because there's some very interesting things that they do leading up to the actual heist itself. They get all the crew together and we're following the two cops. And I, I actually do kind of enjoy the the cop dynamic between Timothy Oliphant and uh, fuck, I've already forgot his name, but and the other guy because I because they're both good. They're both really good in the movie. The, but like I kind of forgot about them after a while. Like mm-hmm. they're they're both good, but we don't cut back to them enough. I don't feel like they're as big of role players in the story as you would necessarily think they should be. I think the idea that I get from it is just it's this is very much the uh, Nicholas Cage's like story and we're just kind of cutting back to them to see like how how m- much on their tail are they and like yeah we could probably use a couple more scenes just to like get that a little bit more but i think what they did works especially since like i agree with you the dynamic between the cops really works and i actually even like the dynamic between nicholas cage's character and the cops yeah it's clear that they're like kind of catching up and they're you know they talk to the guy with at the key the key making guy like the key maker and that that becomes like a pretty predominant part of the of the story later on because they they tag him and the one guy uh the brothers from kip's crew comes and gets the mercedes keys from him and that's all interesting it just kind of goes away although the the best scene with him is when he this this scene is bonkers so one <laughs> yeah. of their friends steals a random car just just a random yeah. car that he found that was a nice car that wasn't on the list, even though, like, why would you do that? And then they find heroin in the trunk because, of course, and then out of pure coincidence, he comes back. The cop comes in and, like, pays them all a visit and finds the tracking numbers and the phone numbers. And there's cocaine or there's heroin on the floor that the what's the what's the big black guy's name? 
on their crew. What's his name? Is it Donnie? All right. Okay, cool. Yeah, Donnie. There's heroin on the ground and Donnie has to cover it up with his foot and they're doing this whole maneuver to make sure that he doesn't know like what's going on. Like, and then he gets in the car and by revving the engine, he blows the heroin away. Yeah. That's one of the most bonkers movie scenes I've seen in quite a while. I I was blown away by it. <laughs> the, the biggest problem I have with that scene is that it only solves one purpose. And it's uh-huh. li- literally just to show that the cops know that they're doing the heist that night. Like the fact that they have like the tracking numbers and the and the what? phone numbers. Right out in the open. <laughs> it was right out in the open. Like really, you couldn't have grabbed that? It's right there. You could have just put it in your pocket. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, that just leads them down the path of like, they have to scope out the area and they have to be on guard and... That's why, you know, when when they go to to um, to look for the cars, the van is parked four houses down from the from the one car that Nicolas Cage goes and takes a mm-hmm. a photo of. But can we talk about Nicolas Cage's character in this movie for a quick second? Because he's an expert driver and has a, a bunch of experience with cars and with stealing them. But he is very clearly sexually attracted to these cars. Like he has <laughs> such a hard on for all of this. It's crazy. He talks to wh- whatever the fucking car's name that Eleanor? he's scared of. Eleanor. Yeah. He talks to her is scared of her because of one bad accident. There was more than one time. There's more than one time. Okay. But there's the part where he's like, I did it. I didn't do it for money. I, I did, did it for, for the cars. cars. And it's like, <laughs> Dude, you are going to put your dick inside of the muffler. Like, I just know it. it. He is just so turned on by all of this. It's and like even the whole scene where he's literally about to have sex with Angelina Jolie and it's all car talk. Like, it's so gross. And just, I mean, uh, hey, you do your dirty talk the way you want to. <laughs> He'll do his dirty talk the way he wants to. <laughs> But like that's like a predominant part of his character is that he is very he is so into cars like it's it is cra- like you won't see that in any other Nicolas Cage movie. I mean, other than maybe Con Air, where it's, it's not cars. I didn't do it for the money. I did it for the plane. <laughs> uh, oh, if only. So yeah, so he really loves cars, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> like his relationship to cars is almost is so much more intense than him with Angelina Jolie, who shows up to do the job out of nowhere because like it's funny because like you know he goes to talk to her at the bar and she's like no I don't I don't really I don't want to do this and she seems like pretty adamantly she's like no and he's like okay and then she just shows up again and is like oh. I, I want to do, I, I'm only doing it for Kip or something. She, yeah. she says that. And Angelina Jolie in this movie, I feel like is pretty wasted. Oh yeah. Because I, I, I wish there was more. Like I wish she was in more of the movie because like, so she shows up out of nowhere to do the job and then she has very little screen time doing the job. And then she's in that scene with Nick Cage where they have sex talking about how their relationship was deteriorated and then it's fixed again pretty quickly and then that's pretty much it like she's not really a role player in the movie that much no yeah for sure i feel bad because i'm just talking so negatively about a movie i love but like i'm aware of like the problems it has no i mean that's what we're that's what we that's what we're doing we gotta we gotta talk about it all you know yeah it's definitely a wasted use of angelina jolie just because she does have talent oh yeah and they seem to just use her for like her looks in this movie Mm -hmm. which a very much a different look for Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I'm not not a big fan of the white dreadlocks. I I can't say I'm the I'm the biggest fan of it. But this is right off. So this is right off of her Oscar win for Girl Interrupted, which is a great movie and a really good performance by her. But she is definitely typecasted in this movie from that movie of being the crazy supporting character. But she had actual real impact and had something to do with the themes and had really deep character work in that. And here, she's just like. You know, I'm a driver with an edge, and I like Nicolas Cage. Like, <laughs> Talk car to me. Yeah. <laughs> and the brakes. Mm, the the brakes. brakes work well. 
<laughs> oh man, I'm glad that scene was over quick. It was really uncomfortable. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't really buy Angelina Jolie and Nicolas Cage as a couple all that, all that much. <laughs> Do I? <laughs> Luckily, it's just a quick, like a quick moment, and then we can get on. But um, I love the scene where they're setting up the where they're setting up the heist. He said again, they give all the cars names, and then they have to go scope them out. And this is one question I had. So there's that scene when. The one uh, Donnie and the the kid, the one kid who is in charge of walking the dog later. I can't remember his name, but uh, they go to one house and they have to and the car is parked in a driveway. And so they have to use this like device to mark its location or something like that. And it like, it, well, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, So they're laser cut keys. So basically the keys were cut specifically to open those cars right no i know that but there's a scene i'm saying earlier you remember the scene where they have to go break into someone's garage to take that car so they track that car earlier and he has this device that seems like it's pointing out it's like latitude and longitude or something like that like it's exact yeah. location and then in the next scene nick cage goes to that one car in the suburbs and just takes a photo of it it's like be more discreet dude at least turn the flash yeah. off like was one guy's using literally like military design technology and you are using a digital camera like what <laughs> like and then that's how the cops know that he's there like i think you'd be a little bit more careful at least at least just drive by and just be like oh there it is click and just keep moving i don't know you can I nitpick mean, the hell out of this movie if you want they gotta get their pictures <laughs> yeah <laughs> some way this is before smartphones were a thing so yeah yeah for sure but i like that there's a lot of time devoted to the actual heist itself like i i there was more time devoted to it than I thought. So I, w I wasn't sure how the movie was going to end, like in terms of length. Like I wasn't sure when when the job would be over with. And it, it's like a good 40 minutes or so, I would say, of this two hour yeah. movie. That's like when they're out at night getting the cars and it's really well paced, you know, like it's yeah. a, it is a it is a fun time rewatching it. I didn't believe that. We're about almost halfway through the movie and they're still like talking about like doing the job. And then like as soon as I saw thought that they immediately started the job. I'm like, wow, this is paced a lot differently than I remember. And mm -hmm. it works surprisingly like watching this movie back. It's actually, like, it was a lot better than I jokingly, like, remembered it being. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely, like we said, you can definitely get in and have fun. Like, that heist scene, that whole sequence, or that whole section is great. So they go out and they get, like, the first, like, 20 cars or something like that. And then the cops start tailing them. And they have to get away. And then we find out about the key thing. Which is, I mean, which is even before that, it's cool when Cage goes to get the one car and then walks away because he clearly knows that the cops are right there tagging him. And then he tells everyone to head back to the clubhouse, which is, again, you know, great tension because you think like, oh, is the job over? It's like, no, there's more time. And then they have to raise the stakes. So they have the laser key thing so that they'll know where the car is. So the whole thing is compromised and they decide to steal cars from the police impound, which is just a death sentence like in and of itself. And then the dog eats the keys and they have to get the keys out of the dog. Yeah. It's like fail, succeed and then fail again. <laughs> That last one didn't even seem like that big of a fail because like they don't really need the keys anymore after that point. One well, of no, the like, keys, uh, the keys that the dog ate were the keys to the cars in the police station in the police place. Oh, those right, right, right. Okay, so they have to get them out anyway. Yeah, and then they just go back out. You know, they get the keys out in a great Michael Pena cameo from two thousand. Great to see him. I just saw him when I rewatched this movie, and I'm like, wait, he's in this movie? Yeah. I was so confused. It is kind of a dumb scene, but... I can't take it seriously because we all know Michael Pena now. It's cool to see him because you're like, oh, it's cool. He's young. Like, it's it's nice to see, you know, it's, this is what he was in the beginning of his career. But then you're like, oh, he's actually kind of trying to be somewhat intimidating to these kids. And you just can't. I can't take him seriously because he's Michael Pena and he's one of the most likable actors <laughs> working in the past 10 years. Oh, yeah. But, you know, they make it comedic because of the fact that it's like, hey, you know what? Someone, you rustle someone's jimmies because touching dog shit. Like, come on, man. Let's get out of here. Like, <laughs> I got the keys. Like, <laughs> the keys. And he's so unabashedly happy about it. Like, yeah. He didn't even realize he had to dig through shit two seconds ago. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man, this movie. <laughs> I want to talk about the ending just quick because like I said, the whole the whole sequence and he has to go get Eleanor is the last car and the cops are because the cops found the warehouse at the beginning of the movie with the list and they know the uh, the rare cars that they would save for last. And he's like, he's going to save that car for last. How do you know? Because he's afraid of it. And he goes to get Eleanor and then the cops are there. And the chase scene at the end is actually like it's a very weird chase scene because and it's good. But it's not a typical action chase. Like, there's not explosions. There's not a lot of, like, cr- it's mainly just focused on the driving. Like, it's just Nick Nick Cage doing these, like, crazy maneuvers. He did, like, 90% of his own stunt work mm-hmm. for those for those driving scenes, which are which is great. Because, you know, you can really tell that he's into it. But it's, like, you know, he, it's pretty simple. He's just trying to outrun the cops. And, he, and I guess in that sense, it kind of makes it feel a little bit smaller scale than other driving scenes one weird thing i was thinking about when i watched that scene was this kind of reminds me just the way he's driving and like it showcases like how good of a driver he is it made me think of baby driver oh yeah just because i'm like you know like him being able to just like drive backwards like that and then swift Mm -hmm. into like this area it's like this is very much reminds me of like this beginning scene in like baby driver where he like is in like an alleyway and he turns and then goes backwards and then somehow yeah. twirls the car or whatever because it was actually like really well done i feel like like those like wide shots where you like see that it is very much like cut together as being like very close to get it very like on the edge of your seat yeah for sure i mean it and it still looks pretty good like for the most part like it's it's not as quick cutting. Like there's not a lot of quick cutting as you would think like other act- and like the cameras are pretty fluid. Like they have cameras in the car, outside the car, aerial shots. Like that scene where he's going in the in the in the floodgates and then like punches the nitro and goes to like 140 miles an hour within like a a, a second is the, I mean that's what you want. Like right that's that's what you came to see. Mm-hmm. But what I was you, I wish you could have seen me while I was watching this for the first time. The scene when he gets to that bridge and there's that pile up as soon as they pan over. So he gets stuck in traffic. And then as soon as they pan over to see that that ramp, I said out loud, I was like, oh, please just give it to me. Just please, Nick Cage, <laughs> just give it to me. And I was thinking at first I was like, OK, he's going to because the, the left side of the highway of the bridge was empty. So I thought he was just going to jump into that lane and then get back on the other. Nope. He goes and jumps the entire wreckage that is literally the length of half of this bridge over. And then the tires like skids on top of an ambulance. And then the front of the car just like buckles on the ground. It's crazy. It's insane. And I, the whole time I was like, this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted out of this fucking movie. And it gave it to me. I read a review where somebody said that jump scene would put evil Knievel to shame. (laughs) oh man oh my god i was i was so happy like i i was like that's the insanity that i that i need and nicholas cage is perfectly plain faced the entire time it's just great and also that scene goes on for so long because i thought like okay so he outruns the cops and then the truck blocks them and then it cuts to Kip in the hospital mm-hmm. with um, Will Patton's character, and he's like, "Yeah, he gave it all up for you, and or he did it. He did it for you to make sure, like, you know, that you were safe." And, um, which we could talk about that um, when we get to the analyze section. Um, you know, pretty lengthy section that's going to be. But then it cuts back to Cage in the car, and he's driving slow in the suburbs. And I thought he was pretty close to where the garage was. So I was like, "Okay, it's over," and he's just going to go there. Nope, another ten minutes, and then like within like two seconds there are four cop cars following him the helicopter's back and then he gets back onto the to the bridge so it goes like it it keeps going like it 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 took more time than i was than i was expecting it to and i don't know if we've gotten to this part of the chase scene or not yet or if we skipped over it but like the one scene i just remember vividly as a from watching as a kid and just being like what 
was just the scene when they're driving through the construction yard. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And somehow he's going fast through this entire area. And he just sees this wrecking ball. And he's like, I got to speed up. Speeds up. And the wrecking ball, just in time, hits the cop guard and goes right through a wall. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, Timothy Oliphant goes up to him. He's like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? Because sure. you <laughs> just went through a wall. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like it's such a good line in a mm-hmm. movie where it has sometimes some cringy lines, but most of the time it's just like one-liners like that that just make this movie for me. Yeah. Ha! Cop car. Uh huh. Long as I'm in here, you're just gonna sit out there, aren't you? I. <laughs> I. Hearing Nick Cage say, I... Oh, that's so bad. Like, why? I don't know why he did that. And then, yeah, so he speeds through that and then gets and he actually delivers, which then he gives my favorite line in the movie when he's like, I just stole 50 cars from you in one night. Or I'm a little tired, a little wired, and I think I deserve a little appreciation. (laughs) And, you know, he says the car's all beat up and he's like, you know, you take 80 from 200 and we'll call it even. And then he like, bashes him in the side of the face with brass knuckles and then this whole big fucking crazy fight scene breaks out that goes on for not that long i I was surprised at how quick how quick it goes because he takes off and then they go into uh to his office and he tempts him by holding a piece (laughs) of wood because he's like oh yeah that's right you have a thing for wood don't you and then he breaks it and the villain goes fucking insane he's like so hurt that his that he broke this like wood structure it's like why is wood his thing like what why are cars nicholas cage's thing cars at least are like like that's a pretty modern or like normal thing to have an affinity for like uh, people collect cars and are like interested in what cars like do but this guy's just interested in like i love a good balsa wood like what It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but then they like make it up to the ceiling, and then the uh, the the cop is there, and Nick Cage saves his life by knocking the gun out of Kalitri's hand, and he falls through the ceiling, and Castlevek is saved, and like that's like the which has terrible green screen by the way when he's fallen through that ceiling like you could just tell like they were just they just put um kalitri on like a wire and just be like okay if you could just like flail your arms and then we'll blow the wind behind you and it's gonna look great like it's it's gonna be fantastic (laughs) yeah that that, that's pretty bad yeah i can't give Mm. you that (laughs) (laughs) and then like kalitri's like i'm in the middle of a moral dilemma here here uh Memphis, we, uh, you know, you saved my life, and uh, I know brotherly love means more than is a is a very personal bond. So get out of here. It's like, wow, you you're you're just gonna kind of you're just gonna let him go that easy. Huh? You're a bad cop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a, you're a pretty bad cop, aren't you? <laughs> like you like, just let this man destroy. Like there were seven, like ten police cars after this guy, and a helicopter. And the amount of destruction that he did to the city, like, he should definitely be arrested. But on Memphis's point, he did give the cop the location of the cars. True. I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess that is something. But like, I mean. But no, yeah, he's still a bad cop. He, he, he folds pretty, he folds pretty easily. Like, he just kind of gives in. And it's just like, all right, get out of here. Like, <laughs> I'll on, let sport. it slide. Go on, sport. <laughs> And then in the end, uh, you know, that so everything's okay. And his brother Kip gives him Eleanor that he bought instead of sold. So like that's his complete arc and he did it for his brother. And then he drives off and, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> cut, to, um, cut to black and then you hear, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else critically to talk about. So why don't we just move on to analyze this? Uh, we, you know, we usually reserve for talking about themes that are throughout the movie, a message and takeaway. I mean, which there, there definitely is in yeah. this movie, but it's, it's a little bit, it's a little easier because I mean, it's not, that's not the, that's not the appeal of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's not at the center of it. For sure. No. Yeah. Like we've already talked about uh, one of the themes, I think where it's kind of 
the relationship between the brothers it's the brotherly love i think is one of the driving forces of the movie the relationship between brothers and what you do for them is what drives this movie yeah, and I actually I related to it because, I mean, Nick Cage and Giovanni Ribisi in this movie actually reminded me a lot of me and my brother, like our relationship like and how our dynamic is. And in that sense, I mean, that, that like I said, that that is a good thing this movie does. And it's it's a very easy thing to kind of relate yourself to sibling love or like, you know, what you would do for because Nick Cage like does come back like pretty easy and drops everything to take that job for his brother. And then that like kind of ties in with what the fuck, what's his name? Castle Beck or something like Castlebeck's that. Castlebeck's the cop. Yeah. Castlebeck. Yeah. What he does. Cause I mean, like I, I feel like the theme of the movie in and of itself is you got to do the right thing. And, um, you know, even like at one point Donnie says, you know, we're like Robin hood. We rob from the rich and give to the needy and they end up giving the cars back at the end. So, <laughs> Like, you'll the I best mean, part of that is like we give to the, we take from the rich and we give to the poor or we give to the needy and boy do we need this yeah <laughs> <laughs> so like you can kind of string together some theme or takeaway from it because i mean like i said it, it's really simple it's just like okay your brother's in peril you go and help him. family is important mm-hmm. uh they this guy saved your life. He's going to let him go and like, let him take care of his brother. And I guess like, you know, you feel for Nicholas cage in that sense. Cause you know, he is, he's not, I mean, he's doing a bad thing, but in the end he's, you know, he's the hero. So he's not really an anti-hero by, by our standards necessarily stay. So it's, I would say like, just do the right thing and, you know, look out for your brother, but also, or look out for, you know, the ones that you love, but also you have to be there for them. Would you agree or? No. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of the stuff that we get for the themes or just even for the characters happen a little bit off screen. Like, I feel like if we saw maybe some of the stuff that Nicolas Cage's character went through before, we might have like more of an attachment, not attachment, but like we might feel for him more like he left his entire like life behind to take care of his like family. He gave up everything he loved so -hmm. that he could keep his family safe. And I think that's a big part of it too when it comes to themes like he gave up everything and he hurt people like he hurt his girlfriend angelina jolie's character <laughs> sway that's what it was he really just like gave up everything and i think that's a testament to his character but i think that's kind of forgotten part about the movie mm-hmm. even though it's kind well, of the driving force yeah because like they it's stuff that they do they just kind of gloss over it it's just stuff that's spoken you know about the past we don't really we don't really see a lot of it mm-hmm we don't really see any of it. It's discussed. So like that scene in the hospital or even the scene with, yeah, with Angelina Jolie and Nick Cage in the car. Like she's like, you just left me behind and asked me to change and I changed for you. And like all this like very one note relationship stuff. You're right. He did. He did do all of that. And like, to make sure that his family was safe and that the fact that now because of that, like his family's in trouble, he has the obligation to do that, to uphold that, to make sure that his family is safe and take, you know, and take care of them. So, I mean, that's a pretty easy theme to kind of get behind because like, you know, anyone can get behind that regardless of the relationship, like whether you're a parent or you're like a sibling or um, like, you know, any, any kind of relationship like that, you can attach yourself to it. For sure. I think that's probably the biggest and probably one of the only uh big themes in this movie yeah it's not a whole lot um it's pretty quick but let's round it all out with um with the human connection in this segment before we talk about why we love this movie how it adds to our love of film and all of that let's talk about how what this movie stands for as a whole because you know the critical reception of this i should have said at the beginning was like you know fairly fairly low uh it got like a 25 percent on rotten tomatoes and was like criticized that like you know the characters aren't really all that great but like nick cage is good and the action scenes are like are good but i feel like this movie isn't as popular among the cage fandom as something like mm-hmm. face off um or con air or any of like you know the more recent 
crazy Nick Cage performances or something like that. I I was thinking that this movie where it stands kind of just shows, you know, how we as a people or as viewers, sometimes you just got to have fun. Sometimes you just got to hang out. You can just throw this on and watch it. And, and, and that's okay. You know, like there's, there's really nothing wrong with a movie that just sets out to be a good time. And maybe there's not a whole lot underneath the surface, but you can go and it puts in the time to, put some form of a compelling story and um, sequences that kind of grip your attention. And it's fine to have something like that. It's not really focused on the themes, even though you can find them or the theme, I guess. And I, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I would much prefer it to, you know, certain action movies to have more themes like that. But this hits the beats of action movies that I do enjoy regard. I mean, minus like certain character things and the ridiculousness of it, but you can still have fun with this movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I feel like this movie has more going for it than some action movies nowadays have. Like there's some action movies where it's just, just the action and that's pretty much it. Where I think that when it does come to an action, a good action movie, you should, even if you don't want to, call this an action movie or not or some heist movie even some heist movie you don't have that human connection it's just like all focused on the heist and that's it and i think that some this is better than some movies nowadays just because it has that story element to it and you can you can connect to it at least on some level and yeah it's ridiculous in some points but that's like the part so that people like love about it or at least that's what i love about it is the sheer ridiculousness of he jumped half of the the bridge and like what movie do you <laughs> see that in like i want to see that more because that is so much fun i agree with you and i think that the ridiculousness of it is actually especially now it works because it's a nicholas cage movie mm-hmm. and we kind of expect certain ridiculous elements of it when it's attributed to Nicolas Cage. Like, if any other actor was in this role, I don't think it would be as interesting. Probably not. Or feel the same. Like, I, like I said, I love a good heist movie. And the, the whole sequence where they're stealing the cars and going out there is... It's not really something we see as much in movies. There's not a lot of car-centric movies. And I personally couldn't give any less of a shit about cars. I know <laughs> nothing about cars. I have no interest in cars. But you gotta love a good driving action sequence. You do. I mean, they're just fun. They like fuel your adrenaline and they just, and they get you going. And also, I mean, one of the questions I have, you know, written down about this movie is: Is this movie a good LA movie? I would argue that it isn't. Uh, I don't think no. that LA really has anything anything that much to do with this movie. So, of the five or six movies that we're doing for the series, I would say this is not a good LA movie. But if you've been to L.A., you can be like, oh, OK, there's this like, OK, there's there's Hollywood Boulevard. There's the the bridge to get on to the 405 or whatever the fuck that bridge is and parts of Long Beach. It's interesting because like all the characteristics of L.A. and just like the society surrounding it are kind of void from this movie. And I honestly, I think that that's kind of fine in terms of that subgenre. This is just interesting because it's like it's in L.A., but it doesn't really have anything to do with L.A. It doesn't really acknowledge it. Yeah, except for the um, the scenery and the and the layout or not even really like mainly just the layout, like the scenery could almost kind of be like really anything. But I mean, does that take is that really take away from the movie for you or like where do you stand on that? It doesn't really take away from the movie for me because I mean, yeah, like if we're coming down to it, like, is this a good LA movie? I would agree with you. It's not because like, you probably could do this in different places. The only thing that I think that really has it going for it when it comes to this being set in LA is that the giant set pieces very much probably like revolve around like the things, you know, about LA, like that bridge or that, uh, when they're, zooming through that underpass i think is what that's called just like seems like that where it's like oh people like recognize what that is that's pretty much the only connection to la that has and i don't think that really is a strong support for it to be considered an la movie but like i mean like i said that there there are some scenery element like especially the the floodgates sequence where he's he 
goes to 150 miles an hour. Like we, everyone recognized that. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows where that is, and that's been in movies before, like Greece. Wow, I did not even realize that was from Greece. I was thinking yeah. Terminator <laughs> or or Terminator Two. That's also true. But even though they don't acknowledge it, LA makes this movie more visually intriguing just because of the layout how spread out everything is that i mentioned before yeah and i kind of and i can applaud the movie um for that aspect at least but overall there's some things void of making it a traditional la movie yeah but we just need to talk about that for the series purposes of course it's interesting for settings so last question the main driving question. Why do we love this movie and how does it add to our love of film considering that you chose this movie and it's clearly very personal to you. I want you to go first. So I love this movie and I've talked to, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to Josh in the past about this movie and he's like, I haven't seen it. Like, I don't know. Like he's seen Connor or this or that, but like the gone 60 seconds for me is one of those one, like, silly movies that I just grew up on as a kid and I don't think I knew it then but just made me enjoy movies more just from a fun aspect because yeah there are those movies like Lady Bird or something that actually are fantastic and make me happy that I am involved in film or that I love watching movies but then there are these movies like Gone in 60 Seconds, where it's like, is it the best movie in the world? No. (laughs) But it's a movie that you can watch with your friends and just have fun. So it's like, to me, it's like, not only is it a fun movie, but it's a movie you can watch with people and just enjoy it. So it's an enjoyable movie. Yeah, absolutely. My answer is very similar. I'm not one who loves all dumb action movies or bad action Mm -hmm. movies necessarily. It's not like horror. Like I can eat up that horror all day long, but there has to be some substance to it, like something that I can get away get away from it. And this movie is very dumb. This movie is absurd, but it's fun. And I, like I said, it's much more of a heist movie than it is an action movie. And I think going into that, knowing that, makes the experience a little bit more enjoyable, just because there's not a whole lot of action necessarily in it. I felt, but I do love a good heist movie, and I love movies that are about a good a team of people. And you see the different characteristics and the different abilities in each member and how it all comes together to pull off the heist, even through all of its ridiculousness, you're rooting for them. You're like, get, you know, got to get the last car there. You got to, <laughs> you got to make it um, to the 8 a.m. deadline. And, uh, the, you know, that ticking time bomb in the movie itself just like kind of makes the whole thing more compressed and more intense. I think they could cut off like maybe 15 minutes of it. I think it's like 15 minutes, maybe a little too long. Yeah. But other than that, it's still, it is, it definitely is a, a good time for sure. One thing I didn't realize before I started researching this movie is that the writer of this movie also wrote Conair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could definitely tell that ML, uh, certain elements are borrowed from Conair to, I think I would much rather watch Conair if I'm being honest. Like, I, I actually don't know if I've seen all of Conair. No, that's not true. I definitely have, but it's been a very long time. But I would have watched Con Air over Gone in 60 Seconds. But this movie still is in that same wheelhouse, so it still represents that. I uh, think of the trifecta, my favorite's probably Face Off, but... I I agree, yeah. I love all three. Any other final thoughts? I'm glad that I got to share this fun movie with you, and I'm glad we got to talk about it. (laughs) Oh, thanks, bud. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Big thanks to Austin for coming back on. We've been trying to get him back on for a while. Always good to have him. This podcast was produced by Sullivan Harris, who also did all of the artwork for this new series. If you want more updates on us, please go follow our social media pages on Facebook, Frankly, I Love Movies, and on Twitter, at Frankly Podcast. And if you want more updates on what's going on with me in my life, you can follow me on Instagram at joshvaljosh21 and on Twitter at drywall21. 
Also, don't forget to check out Ravnica Avengers, Orion Valley Productions' very own real play D&D podcast. Right now, they're releasing a series of prequel episodes all about how your favorite characters met leading up to the premiere of season two. It's a lot of fun. Definitely want to go have a listen. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, two weeks from today marks the conclusion of the L.A. Sessions, when my former L.A. roommate, Scotty Kaufman, joins me to talk about the Coen Brothers cult classic, The Big Lebowski, and you're not going to want to miss that one. Until then, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.